You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. You think I'm a little superstitious? I say the same exact opening word for word since we started this show almost a year ago. So uh, looking forward for our one year anniversary coming up in the month of July. So, uh, But we're happy that you are here. We have a great uh, guest for you. Uh, uh, legendary wrestler, WWE Hall of Famer, and what I consider to be the best seller, best sales guy, and I'm not talking about uh, about door-to-door, uh, the best seller of all time in the history of the wrestling business. I literally would get a chance to see this guy uh, night after night after night. Uh, I'd be, quote-unquote, sitting ringside, and, uh, and, and, and every little move he made crawling his crawling his hands up the ropes trying to make a comeback it's just uh the little things that he did uh were just amazing and and uh and then the comebacks that he made were off the charts and uh so we're we're, we're so thankful he was able to give uh give us a little bit of his very busy time uh funny thing happened as we uh as we when we called uh uh, you know, normally you, you, we, when we do this show every week, we either call or we Skype with the talent and uh, usually you get a ring or uh, if you're Skyping, you know, uh, you know and then they pick up the phone. Uh, but uh, the coolest, coolest uh, ringtone situation I've ever heard and me and, and my executive producer, Jerry Pituck, both popped at the same time, both put our fists in the, our, our hands in the air like this is the coolest thing we ever heard, and and we actually taped it, uh, although we didn't plan on using it. So just imagine, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a little behind the scenes uh, action from here on the podcast. Just imagine that you're going to call the legendary Rick and the Dra- Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and this is what you hear on the other end. Enjoy this Verizon ringback tone while your party is reached. That's not the coolest thing I've ever heard, or at least seen it heard in a long time. I don't know what is. So uh, uh, entrance music, and it's a cool entrance song on the pod, uh, on the uh, as the ringtone, and it, and it even sets it up with the operator going, "Please hold while we try to get in touch with your subscribers." So it's like the intro. As somebody who did intros for a living, uh, it's, it's the it's the intro that sets up the music that sets up the uh, uh, it's it, it's just super cool. So we thought we'd pass that little back behind the scenes, uh, information on to you. Uh, looking forward to talking to Ricky steamboat. As I said, Hey, uh, got a lot of questions from Twitter today, uh, before the interview, uh, just, uh, went on Twitter a couple hours before and said, Hey, if you ever had a question for Ricky, the dragon steamboat, now's your chance. Make a good go. And, uh, got a lot of questions. Some that, uh, we are going to use. And, um, if you're not a subscriber uh, to uh, me on Twitter, be sure to uh, to do to be become one at David Penzer, all one word at David Penzer. You could also uh, subscribe. Is not the right word, is it? You could also oh subscribe to the site at Penzer Ringside, all one word. So uh, I'd love to to banner back and forth with fans on uh, Twitter and. Uh, had some some responses over the past couple of weeks that were very well played, and I and I've given I give them total credit for some great responses uh, to some stuff that I've put out. So uh, so good stuff all around, and uh, try to be a interactive show. By the way, if you do not already, uh, please subscribe uh, or download the Sitting Ringside, and if uh, you could leave a review, uh, leave a review as well. So without further ado, it is my honor and pleasure to bring on to City Ringside WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. 
We are absolutely honored to be joined by a true legend, a WWE Hall of Famer, and probably the guy who sells the best, in my opinion, in the history of professional wrestling, the one and only Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ricky, welcome to uh, City Ringside. Appreciate your time, sir. Well, I appreciate that. But let me real quickly on that last comment about being a salesman in the ring, you know, as a babyface, it's, uh, it's one of the things I learned firsthand you had to do well at. But I will tell you the best uh, guy that I thought was a salesman in the ring because I was watching him work standing on, uh, on the apron, and that was Jay Youngblood. Yeah, I didn't get to I, I didn't get to see a lot of Jay in the territory days, so I'm not as familiar with his work. And of, of course, obviously, unfortunately, his career and his life was cut short. But uh, I, I could tell you, as somebody, and I'm not blowing smoke up your back backside, as somebody who quote unquote sat ringside for a lot of your matches, uh, I've never seen anybody better. But uh, uh, I'll have to go back and and maybe the listeners could go back and check out some Jay Youngblood. So because now now you got me interested. Yeah, um, every time he, we were tag team for almost five years and almost every night at a match, at, at some point in time, he was showing me something different, something new, taking me to school. He was he was the best salesman, uh, babyface uh, that I thought in the business. Wow, now, now definitely got to go back and check that out. Uh, good insight. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he, yeah, he only weighed about a buck ninety, right? And yeah. um but to be able to sell and, and, and paint a picture that he's still in the game, still in the fight, still in the match, and then have such a fiery comeback. And, uh, God, he was, he was good. He was so good. Wow. I can't even imagine the tag team that you guys did. If he was that good at selling, uh, you guys could yeah. take turns every night doing the hot tag and, uh, it'd still be great. Um, staying at mid Atlantic wrestling where you team for a long time with Jay Youngblood, you were there for eight years. Um, Back in the territory days, for those who remember or those who are, 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 you know, like to go back and learn about the history of the business, uh, a lot of the wrestlers would go from territory to territory. They didn't want to overstay their welcome. I know that you were always a top guy in mid-Atlantic, but uh, just wondering why you stayed there for, for eight years and if there was ever a thought uh, of going to another territory, even for six months or so. Well, to answer your question, uh, there was never a thought to going to uh, another territory during the time that I was staying um, at Mid-Atlantic up until, oh, I'm going to say the last maybe six months of my eighth year. And so you went into uh, to WWE in 1985, since you mentioned that uh, last six months. Uh, what went into the decision to leave the NWA uh, Mid-Atlantic and go to WWF? Well, you know, this was strictly a business uh, decision. I had been there. Um, I was still working as a, as a top baby face. Um, uh, Dusty Rhodes had come in. God bless him. Uh, great talent. Uh, great head on his shoulders for the business. But also a baby face. Right. And, and when you, you have, uh, a guy still working in the business and he's the booker, uh, the man with the pencil and, uh, and a baby face. So there was a little bit of a competitive nature between, you know, myself and, and Dusty and, and pretty much all the other baby faces that were in the territory and, um, seeing the writing on the wall to where, uh, how I was going to be used. Um, and I was also, you know, that helped me, believe it or not, that helped me make the decision that it was time for me to make a move to another territory and see if, uh, I could, uh, hold the position as a main event guy, um, uh, you know, moving someplace else. I had a lot of good heels in the mid Atlantic that made me Ric Flair to start off with. And sure. then, uh, the list of the list of heels, top, top heels that, uh, were putting me over. So now, um, now if I moved to another territory, could, could I do it all over again? Were you aware when you went to WWF that they were not just an era, another territory that they were going to go, 
uh, a worldwide uh, national company and try to uh, take over the business? Well, you know, George Scott was the booker for Vince at that time. He was also the booker in the Carolinas to which um, uh, Flair uh, went to bat for me in, uh, God, I'm going to really date myself, 1977. Wow. Uh, went to went to George and Jim Crockett and said, Hey, you got this new kid in the territory, Ricky Steamboat. I'd like to try and do something with him. Um, you know, even with all the top baby faces in the territory wanting to work uh, with flair because he had worked his way up to be the number one heel. And he chose me. I was still real green, but he just saw something that uh, the two of us could really, you know, draw some money. And George Scott was the booker. And, and uh, the next thing you know, he was, booking Flair and I and coming up with some ideas and then Flair and I were coming up with ideas and it started the ball rolling for me. And eight years later, you know, George, uh, was booking for Vince. And of course the relationship that I had with George and, um, uh, I don't, I really don't know who called who first. I don't know if I called George or George called me. I think George called me and, um, said that uh, he, in so many words, I can't tell you, but we're, this company is really going to get big. I don't want to get into details and I sure would love to have you up here, you know, uh, with us. And I was, I was at that time, I said, you know, I, I'm ready for a move. And, um, and next thing you know, I'm up there working for uh, WWF. Right at the right time. You were at WrestleMania one. Did you ever think, at WrestleMania one, you know, what, a, uh, you know, even now with, with, with Fox, uh, sports signing a billion dollar contract with WWE, did you, could you ever have imagined, uh, I've never met Vince McMahon and I know you've done a lot of business with him in different fashions. Could yeah. you ever, could you ever imagine that, uh, that it had grow, it would grow as big as it did? No, no. And I will admitted admittedly say that uh i was probably ignorant to you know uh how big this thing was going to get everybody at wrestlemania one kind of felt that the, sh the show itself at madison square garden you know with muhammad ali as a special referee and uh, uh liberace was there you know that this this was sort of out of the norm but out of the norm in a big way and um, never knowing how how big this thing was going to get, um, no, I had no idea. I I just felt that you know something's going on here and something big because all this stuff that we're seeing you don't see happening in territorial productions. Sure, you know you don't see it, or you, you never even heard of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're on cable, we're going coast to coast the next day we're flying from you know going to chicago one night the next night you're in houston and then miami and then you know uh, it was it really was an eye-opener and uh it was it was uh it was something new and at that point in time in my career after being in the business what let me see i started in around 75 so this is 80 you know 10 years and um wow this is a nice change Sure. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So you, you move on uh, to a, a angle with Jake Roberts that is well remembered. Now, the story lore, the, the, you know, the wrestling lore is that Jake didn't want to give you a DDT on the cement floor, but that Vince demanded it and that he knocked you silly. Is that tr story true? And if so, how did that no. day? That's, so that story is not true. No. <laughs> but let me ask you. Let me ask you a real quick question. Who was my first angle with in the WWF back when I first went in? Don Morocco. Am you, I right? You are right. With Mr. Fuji as his manager. Yes, sir. And those two guys made me look so good and really got me over the question on. Okay, Steamboat's been a main inventor down there in uh, Carolinas. Uh, can he handle it here? You know, and um, they really gave me the uh, the big push and helped me out and so forth and so on. So my hats off to both those guys that really, really proved that I, you know, I could still carry the load. Now, getting back to Jake Roberts, Roberts didn't want to do it because 
on the cement floor. And I, I was insistent on it. It wasn't Vince. I think Vince was a little hesitant on it because I think Jake uh, talked to Vince and said, you know, this could be really bad. It could be, could be dangerous. Right. So ultimately the decision was left up to me. And I said, Jake, I've taken, I don't know how many of your DDTs when we were in the Carolinas together and I'm good to go, you know? And the, the thing was, was to add the drama to it was to pull the mats apart and actually do it on the cement floor. Right. And, um, and you know, and when he when he sucked me in and under his armpit and dropped me, I um, I just didn't get my hand down there fast enough to uh, protect myself. You know, he did the move like he did it ten thousand times, and it was on my end. Any uh, since you brought him up, and I know there's always great uh, stories. Any Mister Fuji stories you can think of off the top of your head? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, early when I first went in, Mr. Fuji, you know, being a veteran at that time in his career, and, uh, you know, he was pretty well known for his ribs. But uh, he came up to me, and um, I think this was before the, the match and in the locker room and said, uh, young boy, I want to show you special hold. Unbeknown to me, all the guys sitting in the locker room, they were wise to what Fuji was going to do. So I, I was like, yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, so he takes me back into a back bathroom, back room in the back. And he goes, no matter how big this opponent is, and if he starts to abuse you in the ring, I'm going to show you special hold. It's called a five on two hold. And no matter how big your opponent is, you will always come out on top. So I said, oh, God, you know, Mr. Fuji, thank you so much. He said, young boy, stand right here. So he took his hand, five, you know, four fingers and a thumb, the fives, and grabbed me right the nuts, which is the two. Yeah. So that's why I call it the five on two and squeezed and dropped me to my knees. And of course I let out a big yell and he says, okay, young boy, you now know how to do the five on two. And he walked out. <laughs> I laid there for a few extra seconds, got up, hobbled my way back into the locker room while all the old timers in there and the other guys were giggling because they knew what was going to happen. But it, it's sort of, especially with some of the old timers, you know, sort of uh, welcomed, uh, you know, brought me into their into their fraternity as, uh, uh, you know, hey, the kid's okay, right? You know, Steamboat's okay. You know, I didn't come in and rant and raving and say what the hell was all that about and all that, and guys were laughing and giggling, you know. So, you know, I that that was uh, that was a rib. Done on me by Mr. Fuji, the five on two. Great story. Yeah, you got to be able to, when you're young, you got to be able to take the ribs because if not, they'll just keep ribbing you. So, right. Just got to take it. They, and, uh, and this is when, uh, this is when the Fuji was in the Carolinas. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you move on to Randy Savage and they did an angle with you and your throat was injured and. Uh, yeah. they did some segments. You were usually leading up to that. Everything I can remember, pretty serious of a baby face, you know, didn't do a lot of comedy Gaga stuff. And they, they, they did some segments. I actually saw what looked, uh, one up online today where they'd sent you to a, uh, uh, throat rehab specialist and, uh, had you say vowels yeah. that you couldn't say. How, how, how was that? Right. Was, was it different, you know, kind of doing slapstick type stuff? Uh, did it bother you or? Just another day at the office. Well, I, I tried to make it as serious as possible because uh, what he did to me was serious, you know, according to the, the fans. Sure. Uh, he came up the top rope with the bell, and then they brought the gurney out, and they took me in the back, and, you know, the commentators and everybody was just, and uh, 
the response from the fans, uh, the hate mail that Savage was getting to the office was, oh my God, it was, you know, people were just blown away by, you know, how could he do such a thing? So, uh, and then I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, be as straight up and forthcoming about, you know, the rehab for my throat. You know, I, you know, years and years later, I've looked back at some of the stuff that I did and I cringe. I literally cringe looking at myself doing that. I said, oh my God, what a, you know, you know, they have A-class films, B-class films, C-class film. Well, this class, this, this uh, performance by Steamboat doesn't even get a letter. It was, it was terrible. How about a Z? Z-class? Yeah, I mean, if if we can get a Z-rated movie, that that would be me. You know, <laughs> God, it was terrible. So, but d- you know, it it back back then it it worked. Uh, um, I, you know, everywhere I went, the fans were always coming up to me and asking, "How am I doing? Am I going to be able to wrestle again?" And then, you know, that was the question: was Steamboat going to be make it back? And then it came to, uh, uh, is he going to be able to wrestle uh, Savage at WrestleMania three? You know, and Randy and I did not have any tune-up matches. Uh, nothing. We couldn't touch each other. Uh, well, we got close to WrestleMania three. They'd send me out on the road, and wherever he was booked, right before his match, at the, I'd do a walk-on. You know, I'd walk out, and the fans would look at me and look at Savage. He's—I re- don't know who he's wrestling. I don't remember, but you know, and I'd point my finger at him and something like that, and, and put up the number three, like WrestleMania three, you know, and point my finger at him and. That's all we, you know, that's all we could do. Unlike a lot of main event guys, you know, they hook up before a big pay-per-view and sure. they have some tune-up matches and, uh, you know, put some stuff together. We didn't, we didn't have that. Uh, we, we were, the, the, the WrestleMania three was the first time we touched. Wow. So, and that, 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 that makes the match all that much more incredible. I, I don't want to get too much into the, cause every, I know everybody and your brother, their brother asked you about, that match and and for good reason yeah. it was an amazing match and I don't want to get too much into it because you've talked a lot about it but um did did you when 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 that match was over and you you, you had a chance to reflect on it uh, after WrestleMania three did you did you think that this one you know uh, all these years later is going to resonate as one of the, still as one of the greatest matches in the history of the business not at all not no um, I know when the match was over that. We had put together a, a really good match. We set out a mission was to steal the, the show to have the match of the night. Right. And it was only because we heard uh, the num- numbers coming in, you know, on that, the Silverdome, the people buying and the pay-per-view, the buy rate was real good. But that's, all the credit goes to, you know, Hogan and Andre for that part. And I said, you know, Randy and I both thought that, we got so many eyes watching the the show. Uh, let's take advantage of the the situation and and get the rub, you know, and and steal it. And and we tried and we did. Absolutely, you did. Did looking back on it, do you ever wonder? Uh, I mean, I think everybody just you know moving on. What I what I'm my my point is is uh, you you had to drop the title to Hockey Talk Man very soon thereafter because you decided to go home and be with your wife and, and, and your young son when he was born. At, at least that's what I've been led to understand, correct right. me if I'm wrong. Did, do you, and, 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 and so that momentum never really got to surge. Do you ever look back and not wish you didn't do it because obviously you did the right thing for your family, but wonder how it might have been if you would have been able to continue with that momentum that you had? Um, no, I, I don't regret it. Uh, I would not have changed it. Um, at that point in time, um, I had put the business in, in front of everything in my life. Um, my families and, and whatever I I made that. And for once I, I said, you know, I got a man up, I'm going to be a dad. And, um, I never had any regrets. No, I, and it was an awkward situation. I know we, uh, we took the intercontinental belt to another level, both Randy and I, and I had a strong, you know, momentum going as well as him. And 
and it just sort of got muffled. But uh, I sort of prioritized, and I said, "This is my firstborn, and don't know if I'm going to have any more." And I, I don't want to miss this moment. I always thought that I can continue, and there'll be other days of wrestling. But this was just a one-time, one-shot event, you know, be, to be there from and watch my son. So Absolutely, so- I have no regrets. So in 89, you jumped to WCW for the first time, and it had, uh, as everybody remembers, three incredibly famous matches uh, for the NWA title with Ric Flair. How did that jump come about? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what are, your, what are your thoughts looking back about what was uh, an incredible time of uh, incredible 60-minute wrestling matches on almost a nightly basis? Yeah, that, uh, well, once again, George Scott, you know, God bless her. The big influence on that brought me brought me into uh, the WWF at the time, and then you know he, of course, his uh, he ran his course uh, with Vince, and then um, here he is back with the NWA, uh, and um, brought me in again. And knowing the history of me and Flair, and that hooking the two of us up together, that you know. How could you go wrong, right? Oh, you couldn't. And and, and believe it, or, and believe it or not, did not did not know that there was going to be a title change. Probably until hmm, I'm going to say maybe around intermission, night of the show. Oh wow! Yeah, you you think something like this would have been made up weeks weeks prior or or you know leading up, but. You know, all three of us. I I just said, look, I'm I'm here. I'm along here, and I'm good with whatever you want. And um, George was still thinking about it, and Flair, uh, he was uh, he had no qualms about dropping me the belt. Uh, he thought it'd be good business. Really shocked the fans first time. To uh, you know, every, a lot of the Carolina fans they knew that we'd been working with each other hundreds of times, but. You know, on this uh, platform, with this kind of national coverage, and have a title change. Um, you know, uh, didn't find out until uh, I guess it like uh, the show had already started. So I'm I'm going to say pretty close around intermission. You know. So what were your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, back then the world title was you know now. Uh, you know, it changes hands all the time and celebrities have held it and it's been devalued. Yeah. But but at the time, it, the NWA World Heavyweight title was the premier. I mean, if you were an NWA yeah. champion, you know, the lineage of race and Briscoe and Funk and uh, what, 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 what do you do you think, uh, you know, that's cool? Uh, it's just another match or are you excited? Do you think, you know, oh, man, I'm going to be world champion? Well, that, yeah, the latter. Um, you know, when you get into the business, if uh, I always thought that, um, you know, was I good enough to get up to be a main event? And then after you run that course and, and then just, uh, there's just a selected few guys back then to be considered to be a world champion. And then I thought, God, well, will I get that opportunity? Then it happened. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a very special moment uh, to be in, you know, I was in a class of, some great, great workers, some great world champions, and to to be in that class with them, you know, even though my my run was what less than three months. Yeah, I was going to ask you any regrets that you didn't get to to have a longer run with some other maybe challengers before dropping it back to Rick. Oh yeah, well, you know, truth be told, in Nashville on the third, um, you know, I always knew I was going to drop it back to him, right. um, and. Um, in Nashville, when I dropped it back to him, um, the angle between Flair and Terry Funk, when when uh, I think it was a uh, Funk pile drive Flair on the table. Yeah, what am I? That's one you of my favorite. Yeah, one of my favorite angles of all time. Yeah, well, you know that was done unbeknown to me. Oh, lovely! I'm watching this thing happen in front of my eyes, uh, as as and getting the uh, whole. A crap moment, just as much as the fans, and um, sort of rubbed me the wrong way without any 
you know, where's what happened to the any kind of respect? You know, Flair and I had worked with each other hundreds of times and and um didn't find out until actually it happened. Did you ever get a reason for why? Because that is disrespectful for sure. Yeah. Um you know, I don't I don't I don't think I had any words for Flair or Funk uh in the locker room. Uh, they could see I was bothered. You know. I think that the as much as I wanted to avoid them, uh, they wanted to avoid me. Yeah. You know? But you never got an answer down the road over a beer yeah. or anything. No. Wow. wow. What a mystery no. of wrestling. Um, I think, I think Jim Hurd might've played, you know, you remember Jim Hurd? Oh God. There's not. Yeah. We have lots of Jim Hurd stories in the history of this podcast and not one of them is in any way positive. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this ever, ever happened. Um, I don't know, but I'm just trying to put the nuts and bolts together. Um, to Funk, who, uh, who has a great mind for the business, and then, you know, probably got into Hurd's ear and and uh, create an angle right there after, uh, you know, I dropped it. I, I wish I would have had some. I was thinking that after I dropped the belt to Flair that I would have a ton of return matches. Sure. You know, a lot of main a lot of main event shows and you know, having some having some good paydays, but you know, that obviously just got uh washed away right there. Well that's really a shame that that uh I didn't know that story and uh uh I'm glad you told it even though it's obviously not something that you're happy about. But uh you know that 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 that's you know, obviously put a bitter end on what was a great should have been a great time in your career, you know, of Holding that prestigious yeah. title, uh, got a lot. Let me of, ask you something real quick. Sure. Let me ask you something real quick. Which which of the three matches do you think was my favorite? I'll, obviously, well, well, not too much the third one. <laughs> yeah, you kind of so, gave that one think? away. Uh, I'm gonna say the first one was that the, the the New Orleans one. Was that the first one? Yeah. I'm gonna say even though you didn't win the and you didn't win the title first at that one. Chicago. No, the first one in Chicago is when I won it. Okay, I'm going to say... The return match was in Norley. And then the third match was when I dropped it back to Flair. I'm going to say New Orleans. And I'll, I'll tell you... Yeah, well, that's that's right. Um, you know, people have asked me that. Fans, and they said, really? You know, you got you, the excitement of winning. I said, yeah, but I'm looking at it from a match, you know, point of view. And I thought that the second match was better. Uh, we were able to put in some time, I think 50-some minutes, almost sure. an hour, and um, uh, a different twist to have a world championship match with two out of three falls. And, uh, and the way it was constructed. And um, once again, we just, we just went into that match uh, knowing our falls and calling the rest of it. Yeah, it's amazing the magic that you guys had. Uh, we've talked about it many times, just, you know, at Legends of Wrestling events and different times I've seen you at Hall of Fame ceremonies. Uh, you guys had that magic. It's amazing. Uh, I know your time's limited, so I'm going to try to throw a couple more questions in here. we got a, a good segue to that uh, story, I guess, is we have a lot of Twitter questions about what you consider a better match, WrestleMania three with Savage or New Orleans with Flair. You know, I'm going to have to say uh, WrestleMania three. Wow, with with Randy. Under, understand this, but you know, the New Orleans Flair and I had wrestled each other hundreds of times in the right. Carolinas, right? Yeah. WrestleMania three was uh, Randy and I did not have that luxury, and we couldn't even fine tune. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time I worked with Flair there in New Orleans, we knew each other like the back of your hand. And uh, we knew what each other liked and what they didn't like, what each other liked to do and, you know, and on. Being Savage, first time ever. And to be able to go out there and put that kind of a match, uh, first time ever, you know, um, that's where I've got to, you know, that's I've got to lean towards that match. You talked uh, in in the past, not on this show, but in the past, uh, other interviews of uh, at one point wanting to, I believe you asked Pat Patterson if you could work as a heel. 
Uh, you never did right. get you never did get to work as a heel, and one of the few wrestlers and from the territorial days that never did. In your mind, what would a heel Ricky Steamboat be like? Because we only know a babyface Ricky Steamboat. Perfect gentleman, great right. seller. Uh, you know, good looking, uh, always groom right. What would a what would a heel Ricky Steamboat in your mind look like? Well, I I wanted to be at the uh, to start off with to be fully clothed. You know, long sleeves, uh, shirt, and long tights. And wear a hood, um, do do some lucha libra stuff. No chops, no kicks. No, try to be more like that style. I also had the idea that on the same um, wrestling show uh, televised, that later in the show I would come back as Ricky Steamboat. So if they thought the mask guy was just a you know Mr. X. Well, then, because why? Well, you know, we got two matches later. The steamboat's out here. That's cool. And, um, and then after maybe a year um, to really uh, create my first big angle with a baby face is um, to, to get on mass. And they say, holy shit, after all this time, it's been him, you know? Uh, I would change my work. I would, like I said, no karate chops or anything. Just basically kick and punch. But I think what I, uh, I thought myself that I had going for me, uh, but never had a chance to prove it, was um, I, I had a pretty good feel of how a heel would work because I was in the ring with the best of them, right? Uh, timing wise, timing wise, and what to do, what not to do, you know, and how to make a face look good. Um, being a being a baby face myself and and how to get good heat. Uh, I was in the ring with the best of them and I just felt that, uh, I could do that. And, um, I, I even, I even threw that, uh, idea when I went to WCW, um, with Watts and he said pretty much the same thing as Pat Patterson. Um, no, uh, it would probably hurt your career. I don't know. Never I, I I'd, I'd like to have seen them tried. I got to tell you, especially the way you explained it. What would a heel promo sound like as opposed to a babyface promo from a Ricky Steamboat? You know, I'd like to have them dub my voice. That's what I was thinking. Um, you know, almost like the way they do it when they have a guy sitting in the in the dark and they dub his voice for, you know, just try to hide his identity. Right. You know, oh, that oh I understand. Yeah, yeah. So you could have Ole Anderson do the uh, the Black Scorpion voice. I don't know if you were around for that, but uh, I, I, I do. I do recall that. You know, <laughs> something, something of yeah, something of that nature. You know. So you were out of wrestling for a while. Uh, you, you went back and worked behind the scenes for WWE. Two thousand nine, mm. uh, they put you in a feud with Jer uh, Chris Jericho originally part of a bunch of legends that I think, correct me if I'm wrong, took the place of Mickey Rourke, who was the original plan. But then uh, uh, your work was so good, uh, you still had it. Uh, they kept it going for a few months. Uh, what were your thoughts when they asked you to, to, to come back? And did you ever think about, you know, hey, maybe I could have one last run around the horn? Well, all that I got to give thanks to Chris, you know, Jericho. Um, he actually did, you know, did not know. Um, we, you know, that that WrestleMania 25 with uh, Snoka Piper and me, you know, God bless them too, those two guys. But um, we had some tune-up uh, time in in the ring, um, just to see what each guy could do. And Jericho said, "God, Ricky, you can do everything you used to do." And both Snoka and Piper banged up in their knees and their hips and their backs and everything. So um, he said, uh, you're probably going to have to have 80% of the match and, and, uh, just to make this, so we can pull this off. But my work rate, um, was so good that, uh, he went to bat again for me to, to work a singles match at, uh, backlash. And, um, then we went overseas to, um, an Oriental, uh, Japan tour and worked every night with him. We came back to the States. We went through the Carolinas, and I worked with him every every night. So uh, I think just because of that WrestleMania 25, you know, the one match, it, it ended up, God, we must have had about 15 or 20 matches all together. 
just because of that one, one night. And I was back in my glory. I was just, I was just so oh God. I was like a kid again. But you know, there was times in our matches that I knew I was off the step, and that was only because of Mother Nature. You know, I think what I was 50, 56 years old at the time, or something like that. But you know, I was off the step here and there, and the, you know, some of the guys said, "Well, you couldn't have tell," uh, but I knew it. And um, but you know, a little little smoke and mirrors there, and I could cover it up a little bit. There you go. Um, ever any thought in your mind to go into Vince and saying, "Hey, Vince, uh, uh, maybe maybe we could have one more run at this thing." No, no, no. I I um, I didn't I didn't want to wear out my welcome on. Uh, you know, I, I did my thing. I had a, a good uh, month or or more working with Chris every night, and and that that, that was enough. That, that was uh, I proved the point not as, as much as proving it to the fans or my uh, constituents, the some of the younger talent that were on the road with us watching us work. But it was something that um, a question in my mind that if I was ever to get back in the ring again, could I do it? So. Uh, uh, I answered that question for, I guess, for everybody that I did, and I'm, I don't want to blow it. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, yeah. There's always that Just temptation. There's always that temptation to try yeah. for one, one more time, but uh, I respect the fact yeah. that yeah. you got to walk away on your own terms on that one. Yeah, you know, uh, leave it on a good note. I've watched too many of the guys that I work with during the '70s and '80s try to hang on and. Um, and it, you, you just cringe and to watch them in the ring. And uh, because I, I was in the ring with them when they were at their prime and, and how well they could do things. And then they, you know, they just keep hanging on and hanging on and you, and you just, Oh my God, I didn't want the fans to, to look at me that way. So as, as long as I was able to pull it off and, and, and prove a point to everybody, but mostly to me. Um, and then I said, okay, I did it. Don't don't abuse it. You're right. Don't abuse it. You know. Yeah. Say thank you to everybody, and, and you know it was a ni- it was a nice little run. You got to go to Puerto Rico and team with your son Richie. Uh, is that the only time that you guys got to team? Yes. So how was that yep. experience? That must be something you cherish to this day. Yeah, it was um, a father son thing. Um, you know, it was it was more for me rather than. You know, for for Richie, uh, I just wanted to be able to team with him and um, and do a father and son thing. And uh, once again, it was one of those times we pulled it off. But you know, the other guys in the ring too, uh, they made us look good. And and uh, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It just one of those things you just chalk up on your bucket list. Sure. Uh, Chris Spears on Twitter wanted to know if there was a, ever a particular wrestler. You always wanted to work with, but never got a chance to. And Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. And the Mad yeah. Fan on Twitter, favorite building uh, that you've ever wrestled in? Huh. I, I can't remember it back then if it was a convention or a war memorial, uh, Civic Center. I think it was the Civic, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, Greenville Civic Center. Uh, was that, uh, that's amazing. That you said that because my two favorite build and it's so random because I've worked, you know, as a ring announcer in, in, in the domes and, yeah. and, and I've never got to work Madison Square Garden. But uh, my two favorite buildings to, to, to work in were the Greenville Civic Center and the Columbia, uh, the, the township in Columbia, South Carolina. And it's so, yeah, that was a very, close, very close second for me. Yeah, it's that's. Uh, well, good minds think alike. Uh, hey, Ricky, uh, uh, so much appreciate you, the stories, the honesty. You're a class act, and I appreciate it. Is there anything you're doing now that you want to tell the fans about? Any? Yeah, I don't know about your presence on social media. Are you, you on there at all? No, I don't. I don't like to dabble in it. Um, I'm not a Twitter or a Facebook guy. Um, I, I keep busy enough throughout my day just answering my texts and emails. That's that's enough for this this guy. Uh, July 2nd, I go in to have a hip surgery. I'm having a complete hip thing on July 2nd. Uh, and it's just arthritis. I've never had any hip injuries throughout my career, but the doctor says, well, he said, you know, for what you did every night in the ring for 20 years, it didn't help your hips at all. But, um, you know, and, and I'm, 
still with the WWE as a capacity as a spokesperson and like an ambassador type guy and represent the company. And, and I like doing that gig. And then I, um, I'm also allowed to, uh, I freelance out and do some appearances. So, um, this point in time in my life, I'm very happy with what's going on with me right now. And, and, uh, and so very, very pleased and happy that when I see these fans at these appearances that I do and, and it's just remarkable uh, uh, to see these eight, nine, ten-year-old kids that come up to me and start talking to me about matches I completely forgot about. You know, uh, with the WWE Network and having access to all that, and God, it's just—it's um, such a great thing. Yeah, I've been with you for a couple of Q and As that I hosted recently in uh, for the Legends of Wrestling, and it's amazing that you have ten-year-old kids asking you about uh, Randy Savage and WrestleMania three. It's uh, it's amazing how the WWE Network has has brought a whole new many generations up to speed uh, with your yeah. work. But hey, good best of luck in the surgery, and uh, again appreciate yeah. your time. And uh, right. if you ever get the, the if you ever get the, uh, the 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 this feeling that you like to tell some stories on a podcast, hey, you know where to find me. But uh, thank you for your Love time, you. and uh, and and uh, again a class act as always. Thanks, Ricky. Well, you know we uh. We will be running into each other down the road, without a doubt. So uh, maybe we can hook up again down, you know, six months or something. I would, I would absolutely love that. It would be as much of an honor, if not more, as, as the last uh, 35, 40 minutes have been. Hey, have a great one, and uh, thank you again okay. so much. Okay. Talk to you later. Wow, thank you, Ricky Steamboat, uh, for your time. Amazing interview, and it's, uh, it, it, I find it rather ironic, as I said, that uh, one of the greatest uh, workers of all time and a uh, little ring announcer like me both think uh, our, our, our two favorite buildings are still, uh, and it's, it's not like major buildings like uh, in Chicago or Los Angeles at the Forum, uh, but there was something about the atmosphere in, uh, in Greenville and something about the atmosphere in the township in Columbia, uh, which was just a stage. It was like an auditorium, and they actually set up the ring right below the stage, so there's only three sides. But it was it was old school. You got the old lady. I remember one time an old lady uh, in the front row slapped Dave Taylor right across the face uh, as hard as she could, and uh, we laughed about it all the way to the next town. Um, and, and Dave did too. Uh, that was when heat was heat, and, uh, and uh, so... Fun buildings, and I, but you know, somebody who's done, who's played the type of buildings he's played, I was surprised. I was thinking to myself when he was, uh, when he was going on and describing it, I was thinking to myself, can't be the same buildings that I think, because I, I thought I was the only one who liked those buildings. But uh, I guess uh, there's just something about that atmosphere uh, in the Carolinas uh, that's special. Anyway, again, want to thank Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And uh, also, hey, I didn't get to mention this just because I um, uh, just didn't want to interrupt uh, the flow of the interview. But want to thank uh, on Twitter at Gino from WQIK. Uh, he's the one who um, who uh, threw me the question about, sav- about the Savage Angle and doing the uh, throat rehab segments. And I didn't even remember about that. But I went back and looked when he was there. The lady was trying to make him say E and he couldn't say E. And uh, and so you, you heard Ricky himself grade those segments on a on a, uh, a, a segment to a Z segment. You, you know, he uh, you heard what he said about that. But hey, thanks for that question. Uh, thanks for all the questions that you guys sent. Obviously, in a 45 minute time frame, don't have a lot of time to ask every question but I tried to get as many in as you could. A lot of the questions were all clogged together about uh, a better match, WrestleMania three with Savage or uh, any of the matches with Flair. Uh, a little bit, got to admit, a little bit surprised, he said, after he ra- went on and on and on about the matches with Flair, a little bit surprised, he said, WrestleMania three with Randy. But I do understand what he's saying about the fact that they never got to touch each other before they had what will go down as one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. Also amazing that he, uh, he mentioned uh, the one person that he wishes he could have wrestled would be Shawn Michaels. Could you imagine a heel Shawn Michaels at his height against Ricky, uh, the baby face, Ricky, the dragon steamboat? Uh, wow. 
that would have been uh, like on a WrestleMania level stage. That would have been uh, just one amazing, amazing match or, or series of matches. And as far as his description of being a uh, heel Ricky Steamboat, I, I I know there's a reason why no, no promoter wanted such a good babyface seller to and babyface uh, comeback guy to ever be a heel. But God, I'd like to see what went down, uh, uh, especially if it would have been a masked uh, guy who got over for an extended period of time on the same shows that Ricky Steamboat as babyface was wrestling at. That is what you call it would have been a good reveal. And uh, probably the unfortunate thing would have been that uh, probably wouldn't have been able to keep it under wraps. But uh, if you could keep something like that under wraps, would have been a great reveal. And even though we like our Twitter and we like our our, our dirt sheets and we like our internet, uh, as, as, as we see the, the day after WrestleMania on Raw or at WrestleMania, uh, whenever there's a surprise, uh, there's nothing like uh, not knowing ahead of time what's going to happen and being surprised legitimately it's still in my opinion uh one of the coolest things about the entertainment business and the pro wrestling business hey guys thanks for listening again um if you haven't already please subscribe uh uh download the podcast Uh, you'll get it each and every monday morning uh automatically sitting right there in your inbox and uh we'd love to hear your comments about uh the show we get a lot of feedback but we'd like to hear if you don't send us feedback let us know what you think at Penzer ringside, all one word, or you could just hit me up straight up at, at David Penzer is probably the preferred place to go at David Penzer. Going to keep on rocking and rolling all summer with lots more great interviews. And um, so uh, keep on sitting ringside. We appreciate you being here for the ride. Like I said, it's going to be one year, uh, about a year ago. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It was a women of prayer and a little guidance by a guy who I now call a friend, Jerry P. Tuck from Radio Influence. And uh, uh, I hope we've done uh, some cool stuff and uh, looking forward to celebrating the one-year anniversary of that. And also looking forward to seeing you guys out at StarCast on Podcast Row, getting closer to that every day. And uh, we're looking forward to that. That should be fun. Uh, The panel on the WCW, the death of WCW with... Uh, one of the writers and Eric Bischoff being on the same panel. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to hosting it, and I'm looking forward to it from a purely entertainment standpoint. So we're looking forward to that. But we uh, we look forward to uh, hearing from you, and we look forward to seeing you next time, next week, right here. This is David Penzer. I'm still City ringside. Take care, folks. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence.